Hello, and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, we'll be looking at uh, the second um, 100 pages of Francis Parkman Jr.'s uh, book, Count Frontenac. Uh, what's the full name of it? Uh, I forgot. Uh, Count Frontenac in New France in the Age of Louis XIV. That's the, that's the name of it. So, um, Now, in the previous episode, we looked at the first part of the book, which was about Frontenac's first term. And you got to kind of piece that together with some of the things in Parkman's other writing, like the LaSalle book, the LaSalle Discovered the Great West, and Old Regime in Canada. That talked a little bit more about his regime and some of the issues that he was plagued with. Um, while governor of, of New France. This focuses on some of the, the reasons why he eventually was recalled after 10 years. Uh, then we see that we saw the, the follow-up, the, the two follower, following governors, especially Denoville, who led a campaign against the Seneca, which had some success, but not complete. Um, and then we, we saw how um, two things happened that, that kind of led to Louis XIV deciding to renew uh, Frontenac's governorship of New Canada, of, of Canada, I mean. And that would be the, the emergence of, of William, William and Mary as king and queen of England, which made basically England an ally of the Dutch during an event known as the Nine Years' War, which is one of the wars of Louis XIV, which uh, involved much of Europe, but particularly was between uh, France and uh, England, on opposite sides with many Germanic states and the, the Dutch in particular on the other side, uh, along with England. So basically William becoming king of England made England a, a full-blown belligerent against France after the reign of James II, who was more France-friendly. Um, and then he also had Iroquois invasions uh, that were kind of coinciding with that, and Iroquois attempts to really control the trade. Um, and that's what... Uh, that's kind of the events that are described in the second third of this book. Um, it's very much a military history, very much a diplomatic history. So something Parkman, of course, wrote a lot of and was quite good at, but sometimes it's a little bit hard to, to interpret. But there are a few things I'd like to share with you, so a few ideas and a few important concepts, um, and then kind of give you a brief summary of what's in this section of the book. So I, I want to introduce something which I probably should have talked about before, but but didn't um, just because I didn't really think of it until till now. But it's it's an important concept in the history of Native Americans in and especially in relation to empires and particularly the empires of France and England. And it, it appears in a book by Richard. White, a very, very great historian, uh, who wrote a great book on the Columbian River uh, more recently. But those called The Middle Ground, Indians, Empires, and Republics in the Great Lake Region, 1650 to 1815. So um, it's the argument uh, which, you know, covers uh, Algonquins, Iroquois, and others, other Indians, but primarily the Algonquins and the Iroquois, so the same kind of groups we've been looking at. And and their relationship with the British, French, and then later on the U.S. Empire. So um, 
This book was written in the 90s? No, 1991 it was published. So it's, it's pretty old. It's pretty much an established thesis now. You find this argument in textbooks, um, U.S. history textbooks and world history textbooks. Um, but prior to this, a lot of the, the history of, of Indian-white relations were stories of conquest, of, of, of kind of, and in some cases of, of survival. So it was like, just it was all kind of drawn into this narrative of conquest. And the question was, to, to what degree did they assimilate? To what degree did they resist? To what degree did Indians, you know, able to preserve their culture, and all that? So it wasn't all like racist historiography. There was some that was trying to do it from Indians' point of view, but it tended to be kind of in a more uh, seen in terms of conquest and resistance, um, either cultural or military, or whatever. And what White did is he said, really, what we have to talk about is is the creation of a new world through interaction and engagement and, and accommodation. So Indians and Europeans were forced to kind of create a common language, a common set of, of principles, kind of a, um, a new, like new mediums of exchange, essentially. Um, and this eventually, in, in, Richard, in Richard White's view, breaks down. Um, and, and, and kind of, and that's what happens like by the time of Pontiac's revolt, by the time of Tecumseh's rebellion, this middle ground starts to, starts to break down, um, especially with the domination of, of the United States. And along with that are going to come new cultural understandings of, of who the Indians are and, and new understandings of, from the Indians point of view, what the, what, uh, what the whites were. Now, obviously, this thesis wouldn't have been around in Parkman's time, and Parkman is still kind of looking at this more in a, in a conquest narrative. But at least in terms of his diplomacy, I think Parkman does a decent job of showing accommodation, mediation. Like, there's a scene where Frontenac speaks to the Iroquois, like, even using their linguistic techniques, even using their language and things like that. So there is a accommodation on both sides described here you know because it's just what happened and and it's hard to avoid it even though it's in this larger story of empire that he's telling really from one side but you know there is you can kind of pick through this and and find evidence of this middle ground quite a lot and and this book in particular has a lot to uh, the frontenac book has a lot of those examples during this conflict um, between the french and the iroquois uh, in the context of the Nine Years' War, which is the next thing I want to say a little bit about um, the Nine Years' War or the War of the League of Augsburg, sometimes even called the War of the Grand Alliance. Um, it was one of a series of, of wars that Louis XIV fought in his effort to establish French hegemony in, in, in Europe that brought him into conflict, pretty much consistently with the Dutch, but also other other powers. The the greatest and, and, and final of these wars was the war of Spanish the Spanish Secession, which ended uh, his his um, his time as king. Now, these wars had their New World counterparts, right? And so, if you study American history, you may you know study the French and Indian War, right? Which of course is the Seven Years' War fought in America. These were global conflicts because because the French, the English, they had empires. And so all the conflicts between France and England in the 18th century, including 
this one in the end of the 17th century had these were, were global conflicts and were fought in the Americas to some degree. So the Nine Years War in America was called King William's War really by the British. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what the French, if the French had a special name for it, you know, King William's War makes sense, right? It was the war that was fought during the reign of, of King William. So this war was fought from 1688 to 1697, a long drawn out affair. Um, so the, the people up against France were Austria, the Holy Roman Empire, the Dutch, England, Spain, and it was fought mostly in, in Europe, but it was a global. Uh, in fact, Wikipedia is saying it was sometimes considered the first global war. Maybe that's, that's true. Um, even fought in Ireland, right? Because the, the French tried to use like Catholic solidarity with, with Ireland and their resentment of being conquered by the English to try to, get, um, to try to get a foothold into the British Isles. And, you know, actually, you know, if, if you want to read an interesting novel, um, which maybe I should do on this podcast sometime, is The Baroque Cycle by Neil Stevenson. It's what he wrote after Cryptonomicon. I don't know how many people have read this. It's massive. It's it's like three thousand pages or something. And I mean, it's longer than Parkman's whole history here, seven volumes. It's it's a massive book. You know, it's three thousand pages, but the pages are really dense and small type. I think it's three volumes. Each is about forty hours on audiobook. So figure figure about one hundred and twenty hours to to listen to the whole thing and it deals with science it deals with uh, english civil wars but no mostly it's set after the english civil wars right um but the, it starts with the reigns of charles ii and leibniz and isaac newton are characters here it deals with empire piracy um mercenaries it's a really a fun great kind of epic text it's just uh i don't think it's his most popular writing but i like it a lot and, it, you know, the second volume of that, I think it's the second volume, is set during King William's war, during this, this War of the Grand Alliance. And it takes up much of the plot of the second volume of, of, of that book. And many characters are drawn into this, this conflict in various ways. So a lot of fun book, a really, a really nice book that, you want, that if, if you read that, you'll have a better understanding of the Nine Years' War, I, I think. He did a lot of research into that. So um, now about the war in, in America, that's what we care most about, right? We don't care so much about the, the European theaters of this war, even though that's where most of the fighting took place. So let's see what the, the, the Wikipedia entry has to say. Uh, the European war was reflected in North America where it was known as King William's War. The North American contest was very different in meaning and scale. The European War Declaration arrived amid long-running tensions over control of the fur trade, which we've already kind of studied in this um, series. Economically vital to both French and English colonies. So that's really the, the geopolitical economic foundation of the war in North America was control of the fur trade. The Iroquois wanted it, the French wanted it, and the English wanted it. And maybe two, maybe, you know, the French in alliance with the Iroquois could have worked something out, or the English and the Iroquois, but not both, right? And this is actually brewing even before King William's War um, broke out. So the French were determined to hold the St. Lawrence country and to extend their power over the vast basin of the Mississippi. Moreover, Hudson Bay was a focal point of dispute between Protestant English and Catholic French colonists, both of whom claimed to share of its occupation and trade. 
Although important to the colonists, the North American theater of the Nine Years' War was of secondary importance to European statesmen. Despite numerical supremacy, the English colonists repeatedly suffered defeats as New France effectively organized its troops, uh, local militia and Indian allies, notably Algonquins and Abenakis, to attack frontier settlements. Almost all resources sent to the colonies by England were to defend the English West Indies, the crown jewels of the empire. Um, Friction over Indian relations worsened in 1688 with French incursions against the Iroquois in upstate New York, that's the Bonneville expedition, and with Indian raids against smaller settlements in Maine. The governor of General of New France, uh, Frontenac, capitalizing on disorganization in New York and England, following the collapse of the Dominion of New England, expanded the war with a series of raids on the northern borders of the English settlements. First was the destruction of Dover, followed by Penaquid, Maine in August. 1689. In, in February 1690, Schenectady in New York was attacked. Massacres at Salmon's Falls and Cascade Bay followed. In response, on May 1st, 1690, at the Albany Conference, colonial representatives elected to invade Canada. In August, a land force commanded by Colonel Winthrop sent off from Montreal, where naval forces commanded by the future governor of Massachusetts, Sir William Phipps, had seized the capital of French Acadia set sail for Quebec via St. Lawrence River. They were repulsed at the Battle of Quebec, and the expedition failed, and the French retook Port Royal. Um, the war dragged down for several years, and it was finally settled at the Treaty of Rinswick, which more or less kept the borders unchanged. But France was in a much better position from this point on because the Iroquois were forced to give up their English allies. And... Um, and they agreed to stay neutral in any future Anglo-French war in the Treaty of 1701. Now, this now that treaty was would have been Frontenac's successor because Frontenac was dead before that. But this achievement, defeating the English, defending Quebec, and and pushing the Iroquois into a policy of neutrality, which in practice was often very pro-French, was a great coup. And so this was a victorious war. For, for the French in terms of their position in North America. And that's why Frontenac is so central in the history here that Parkman is, is writing. So um, as for summary of this section, I don't think there's too much to say. I'll just, there's six chapters uh, that more or less cover pretty much all of this, this conflict. So we have um, the first chapter called the Iroquois Invasion, which deals with the Iroquois attempts to secure the fur trade for themselves. They are in some league with with the, the English colonists at this time, it seems, according to Parkman. Um, and this is, there's a, actually a great kind of substory here about a Huron chief named the Rat, which maybe I'll, 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 I'll point to a little bit later. Um, and the, all, anyways, this crisis leads to the recall of Denoville and the return of Frontenac. So that's the next chapter. It's called The Return of Frontenac. And we get the, him laying out his the goals here, which are really the uh, the survival of the French Empire and the establishment of a much stronger political military situation in in North America. Um, where is it here? Um, a heroic remedy had been prepared for the sickness of Canada, and Frontenac was to be the surgeon. The cure, however, was not of his contriving. Denoville had sent Calarier, his second-in-command, to represent the states of the colony to the court and beg for help. Calarier saw that there was little hope of more troops or any considerable supply of money, 
and he laid before the king a plan which had at least three recommendations of boldness and cheapness. This was to conquer New York with the forces already in Canada, aided only by two ships of war. A blow, he argued, should be struck at once and the English taken by surprise. A thousand regulars and 600 Canadian militia should pass Lake Champlain and Lake Georgia Canoes and Bateau, cross the Hudson and capture Albany. Um, the whole expedition might be accomplished in a month, he thought. Um, the Iroquois, deprived of English arms and ammunition, would be at the mercy of the French. The question of English rivalry in the West would be settled forever. Um, and this would isolate, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, they, they, this would isolate New England and allow for a future conquest. So kind of that old, this is actually a strategy if you study the American Revolution, you know, right? Wasn't that the, the British strategy in the American Revolution was controlling the Hudson Valley, separating New England from the rest of the colonies, defeating the colonies piecemeal. You know, it's, you know, kind of history has these repeats in this way a little bit, but not directly, but that same, I mean, because the geography is not changing. You can still just look at it and see the Hudson River kind of splits up the colonies and it's, you know, it's bordering New France. So it makes sense to, to do that. And then, of course, the American Revolution was from British Canada that this would be done. Um, but that's that's the that's the ambition and Frontenac is sent to kind of implement this. Now, he obviously doesn't achieve all this, but he does do these raids in New York, defends Quebec um, and 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 basically achieves some of his goals. So the subjugation of the Iroquois anyways is the big achievement. So the next chapter is called the Three War Party, which is were created by Frontenac to raid various settlements, English settlements. Um, there's a bunch of massacres. It's a pretty brutal um, history, and Parkman kind of lays all that out. Then we have a chapter called Massachusetts Attacks Quebec, and then the follow-up chapter, The Defense of Quebec, is basically the history of the English uh, campaign against Quebec and its failure. And then the scourge of Canada is the narrative of the final defeat of the English and the Iroquois. And the dates for that are 1690 to 1694, but it seems that with the defense of Quebec, the, the security of, the, of, of New France is pretty well established and um, the war, the fighting sort, sort of dies down. So this section of the book, as I said, is very much a, a, a narrative section focusing on the diplomacy, um, focusing on Frontenac's uh, kind of being thrown right into this uh, pit of war and conflict and, and coming out of it successful. Um, so the next um, episode will we'll cover basically the rest of Frontenac's career, his time in New France. Also some other, a little more of the fighting like the Acadia stuff is, is in the next section. Uh, a little bit more on rivalries, but that'll also probably be a fairly short um, episode. But I do want to talk about the rat before I go. So the rat is this Huron chief that's um, going to be there throughout Frontenac's second term. He's going to get kind of ba a background character here. But I just think anyone, any, any Indian chief called the rat needs to be um, addressed and, and talked about. So here's what Parkman writes about him. Among the Hurons of Michelamackinac, there was a chief of high renown named 
Konkarunk, or the Rat. He was, in the prime of life, a redoubted warrior and a sage counselor. The French seemed to have admired him greatly. He's a gallant man, said La Hontan, if ever there was one. Well, Chevalvoy declares that he was the ablest Indian the French ever knew in America, and that he had nothing of the savagery but the name and the dress. In spite of his father's eulogy, the moral condition of the rats savored strongly the wigwam. He had given Denoville great trouble by his constant intrigues to the Iroquois, with whom he had once made a plot for the massacre of his neighbors, the Ottawa, under cover of a pretended treaty. The English or the French spared no pains to gain him, and he had at length been induced to declare for them under the pledge from the governor that the war should never cease till the Iroquois were destroyed. During the summer, he raised a party of 40 warriors and came down to lakes in quest of Iroquois scalps. On the way, he stopped at Fort Frontenac to hear the news. When to his amazement, the commandant told him that deputies from Onondaga were coming in a few days to conclude peace and that he had better go home at once. It is well, replied the rat. He knew that for the Hurons, it was not well. He and his tribe stood fully committed to the war, and for them, peace between the French and the Iroquois would be a signal of destruction since Deneville could not or would not protect his allies. The rat paddled off with his warriors he had secretly learned the route of the expected deputies and he shaped his course not as he pretended for Michel Mackinac but for La Famine where he knew they would land having reached his destination he watched and waited four or five days till canoes appeared approaching from the direction of Onondaga on this the rat and his friends hid themselves in the bushes so anyways not to read the whole story but you know he wants to keep the war against the Iroquois going between the French and the Iroquois because he's a Huron and it's geopolitically to his advantage. So he ambushes these Iroquois, right? Captures some, kills a bunch of others, basically to sabotage the, the peace. And this, this kind of leads into um, the broader war, Frontenac's War, King William's War. Maybe Frontenac's War is what it was called in, in Canada. But, you know... This one guy kind of sabotages a peace effort and, and contributes to, you know, you know, dec like a half decade of, of renewed conflict between France, the French and the Iroquois. So anyways, an interesting story in the midst of all this, um, um, this, this broader global war. Um, so, yeah, let's let's think of Frontenac's war as part of a, a, a larger global conflict um, and. Let's think about the middle ground and that kind of negotiation and accommodation between the empires and, and various Native American groups um, and the agency of, of Native Americans, as we see in the, the workings of, of, of the rat and, and others like him. So anyways, that's going to be it for now. In the next episode, I will finish up uh, the, my thoughts on the book Frontenac and, and New France in the Age of Louis Fourteenth. Um, and and then we'll move on from there. So if you have any of your own thoughts on one of these issues, uh, let me know. Leave, leave me a, leave a comment below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Um, that will be it for now. Thank you for 